Some years ago, an unsaved neighbor of mine pulled in the driveway. I was out in the yard. And I had talked to him about the Lord Jesus on several occasions. And he more or less makes fun of it. Uh, he doesn't take it too serious. But he always likes to take a poke at you if there's anything that he can find uh, to make fun of or to ridicule or to criticize. He wants to do that. And so he, he, he drove his truck in. He'd been fishing, and he drove his truck in, and he said, uh, he said, hey, you know uh, so-and-so, your, your friend. And I knew who he was talking about. He said, he's not a Christian anymore. Well, this man was a professing Christian. I knew him. I knew him fairly well. I said, what do you mean? He said, no, he's not a Christian anymore. He said, you know, he used to bring his Bible to work with him. He used to have these little pamphlets, and he'd give them out to people. He said, he's not a Christian anymore. He swears just like everybody else at work. He steals from the company just like everybody else from work. Oh, he used to be a Christian, but he's not a Christian anymore. Those stories, I'm sure, can be duplicated by the dozens and you probably know people who claim to be Christians, and maybe they are. But somehow they're, they've got so discouraged or they've got so sidetracked that they're not really in the race anymore. Matter of fact, they're used now by those who don't believe as illustrations that this whole thing is not really real anyhow. If you're joining us this morning, uh, we're taking up the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 12. You can turn in your Bibles there if you would. The theme for the week is the Christian race. We found out that the word race can also be translated conflict or fight or contention. And the Christian race really is a battle, isn't it? It really is a conflict. Our lives are not a playground. They're a battleground. And if you're not battling, if you're not fighting, if you're not in the race, and you call yourself a Christian, something is terribly wrong. This is not easy. This is difficult. The problem with most of us is we want it easier than the Lord. It was okay for him to have difficulty in his life. It was okay for him to stumble and fall under the weight of the cross. It was okay for him to be rejected and despised. Well, we don't want to do that. We want it better than the Master. We want to be liked by the world. We want to be liked by God. We want to enjoy the world. We want to enjoy the Lord. We don't want it to be difficult. And when it gets difficult, sometimes we just turn the thermostat to the comfort zone. We're used to that, of course. I get in my car. If it's too hot, I turn the air on. If it's too cold, I turn the heater on. If I go home, I do the same thing. 
I take my thermostat and I turn it to the comfort zone. That's where I'm the most comfortable. You can't do that in your Christian life. It's not like that. The Christian life is not a comfort zone. And by the grace of God this week, I'm going to take you out of your comfort zone if I can. I'm going to challenge you. This life is more than what, and Larry's already reminded us of it this morning, it's more than what, what's it to me. We're, we're living for another world and another time. When Jesus Christ was on earth, He was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That we know. The Scriptures are very clear. Colossians 2 and 9. In other words, when you saw Him, He represented God. Father, Son, and Spirit. There He is, bodily. But there was a time when He finished the work at Calvary. He rose again from the dead and He ascended into heaven. When He went away, the Scriptures tell us, that is the church, that is you, if you are a true believer this morning, that we now are the fullness of Him. What does that mean? It means you represent Jesus Christ on earth. That's what that means. He's the head, you're the body. Can I ask you a simple question? How you doing with that? If someone said to you, I wish I knew my Bible like you knew, like you know your Bible, that'd be a great compliment. If someone said, I wish I could witness like you witness, that would be a great compliment. But if someone said, you remind me of Jesus... That's the greatest compliment. Because that's God's desire. That ultimately, you and I are to be conformed to the image of His Son. He's got the hammer and chisel out, folks, and He's working on us. And we have a period of time. It's relatively short, and I'm reminded of that every day now. When you're young, you think you'll never get old. When you're old, you'll think, where did the time go? It's like a, a shooting star, like a vapor from a boiling pot. We have a, a small window of opportunity to live out Christ, to run the race. And we suggested that it is the race that God has set before us. If you've got your Bibles, let me read for you verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12. Again, if anybody's working on that, we might have opportunity for you just come and, and share that with us to memorize these three verses this week. Verse 1 of Hebrews 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied, and faint in your mind. Yesterday I suggested there were several things about the race that God has set before us that we ought to consider. We ought to consider 
that it is God who has a plan for your life. We ought to consider that every race has a beginning and an ending. We suggested the beginning of the race for the Christian is a place called Calvary, where there you have by a personal experience met the Lord Jesus Christ as your own Savior. And one day He will come for you, or one day you will go to meet Him, and that race will be over, either through the door of death or through the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to receive His own. There is a window of opportunity to run the race. Time is running out. We also considered that the race must be run. There must be energy. Actually, in Greek writing, it denoted to incur extreme peril, which required the exertion of all of one's effort to overcome. This is not a Sunday afternoon walk or a stroll. This is a striving, a running, an exertion, a competition, a, cont uh, a test of our endurance as we go along in this race. We also suggested that the race had to be run according to the rules. You just can't run any, any way you want to go. This is a, we, we don't make up the rules for the race. God sets the race before us. God has given us the instructions of how to run the race by His book. Again, I remind you, it's not necessarily a rule book. Now, in the Old Testament it was. 613 commandments, take your choice. Which one would you like to try to break today? Well, uh, you could hardly keep any of them, really. They were so rigid. There were so many. And James comes along in, in the New Testament and says, we keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, we're guilty of all. He said, well, that doesn't seem fair. 613, I keep 612. And, I, and one, I, I kind of boggled on a little bit. And God says, no, it's just like you broke them all. Well, it's not hard to understand. Think about this. Let's suppose you're hanging over a fire by a chain of ten links. And those ten links represent the ten commandments. How many links has to break before you fall into the fire? <laughs> so that's the way God puts it on His record. Not even the smell of sin will enter into heaven, folks. And, and the law proved one thing to us. We're all guilty. We're all guilty. And, and if you and I today would only understand that fact, that we're a guilty, fallen, sinful, lost human race, and by the grace of God, we, could, we can be forgiven. But by the grace of God, we could have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. And you and I have the opportunity as believers to represent Him as we run the race. But the race has to be run according to the rules of the race. You say, now, does it really matter? Well, let's do a little interview. Let's ask Cain if it matters how you run the race. You remember Cain? He had a brother by the name of Abel. And one day in the field, Cain killed his brother Abel. 
If you back up in the story, it gets a little bit, the plot thickens a little bit. Just before he killed him, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 4, Cain talked to his brother Abel in the field. You ever wonder what he says? Oh, I, when I read the Scriptures, I can't help it. I just keep thinking about things like that. Don't read your Bible too fast. Slow down. Think. You know, in the New Testament, we have a story of two blind men. It goes like this. It says there, there were two blind men, and they followed the Lord Jesus. Think. Think. How do blind men follow anybody? See what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know, you got to get into the thing. What did Cain say to Abel? Well, I, I don't know. The Scriptures don't record the conversation. It would be nice to know sometime. I'll tell you what I think. I think Cain put it like this. Abel, if you offer another one of those sacrifices, I'll kill you. Because Abel was offering a sacrifice from the flock, and it was acceptable to God. He had already established the sacrificial system. Cain was offering a sacrifice from his garden, and God had said to Cain, that's not acceptable. You offer an acceptable sacrifice, I will accept it. And Cain and his brother Abel talk in the field, and Cain kills Abel. I think, personally, it cost Abel his life to be obedient to God. He wouldn't change it. But you say, well, listen, at least Cain offered something. God asked for a sacrifice. He offered something. Yes, he did. I don't know what it was, a big carrot, a big cabbage, I'm sure, big pumpkin. I don't know what it was that he offered him. Evidently, it was the best. It was the biggest. It was what he had. But God did not ask for that. And so we would say, Cain, does it matter what kind of sacrifice you offer? Oh, yeah, I'm a marked man. I'm done. The judgment of God is on me because I didn't run the race according to the way that God asked me to run. If you had a little interview with the guy back in Second Samuel in chapter 6, his name was Uzzah. Not sure the Scriptures had... It's interesting when you read that. I'm not sure if he was driving the cart or not, but I think so. And, and I, I always pictured him as sort of uh, walking beside the cart. The, 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 the context is this. David wants to bring the ark back to, uh, uh, back to his palace and to his capital city. And he wants to bring the cart on, uh, sorry, he wants to bring the ark. Did I say the cart? He wants to bring the ark of God, which has been out of the city, back to the city, and he put it on a cart, and it was it was uh, pulled by oxen. Uzzah and his brother were there. I'm not sure who was driving, who was walking, but they were both riding. It doesn't matter. But the Scriptures put it like this. It says, As the oxen were pulling the cart with the ark on it, the oxen shook the cart. In other words, they stumbled somehow, and the cart kind of went like this. And Uzzah was afraid that the ark was going to fall off of the wagon. And so somehow he reached out to stabilize the whole thing, and he grabs the ark of the covenant, and he stabilized it, and God killed him on the spot. Killed him. You say, well, he's trying to help. 
It was just trying to keep the ark from falling in the ditch. Come on. He was doing what he could. And God had already given instruction about how the ark was to be carried. It was not to be carried on an ox cart. The instructions were very clear. The staves were there. The right people had to be there. The rods had to be put through. It had to be put on their shoulders, and it had to be carried, listen to me, God's way. You say, well, I, it doesn't. Yes, it does. God takes, God takes these things very seriously. Um, Aaron had two sons. You remember them, Nadab and Abihu, two sons of Aaron? One day they went in to the, to the altar to worship, and it says that they brought strange fire with them. I'm not sure what that was. I, I don't know the details of that. But at least they came in to worship God. But there was more fire that day. <laughs> there was fire from heaven that day. And as those two boys came in to worship God, God killed both of those boys. And then God says to Aaron and to Moses, Hold your peace. You know what I've done is right. Somehow, if you kind of read the context there a little bit, you sort of get the impression that maybe those boys had been drinking a little bit. Maybe they were a little bit intoxicated. Maybe they decided, we're going to go worship God today. Let's just bring some fire in here with us, and uh, we'll come in and worship God our way. Well, they were kind of like Cain. He wanted to do it his way and sacrifice. And like Uzzah, he decided this is the best thing to do under the circumstances. And those two boys decided it was the best thing to do that day. God took it serious. Those two boys were killed that day. The classic case of running it your own way, doing it your own way, of course, was King Saul, wasn't it? Ask King Saul, does it matter how you run the kingdom? Does it matter what roles you have and how you are responsible? King Saul, of course, uh, was told to wipe out the Amalekites. Malachites represented the flesh, nothing in the flesh pleases God. So take them all out, men, women, babies, children. You say, oh, God wouldn't do that. Yes, He did. He did that. That's God's business, folks. Don't ever question God. Just obey God. Don't ever question Him. You don't need to question. I mean, we might have these thoughts, but you've got to give God the benefit of the doubt. And some way, somehow, that was what was best. And King Saul, if you remember the story, he decided to bring back the best of the flock. God said, destroy everything. Best of the herd, best of the flock, best of the sheep, best of the cattle. And then they brought the old king back and played with him for a while. Samuel, the prophet, came in and he said to Saul, he said, what is going on? God told you to wipe everything out. What do I hear the... I, I, I hear the sheep and I hear the cattle. And what's this king doing here? And Saul said, well, it, it was the people. He said, the people decided. He said, the people don't have a vote. You're the king. You're responsible. He said, well, I've obeyed the Lord. No, you haven't. You did it your way. And you know, it's in that context that we hear these words, it is better to obey 
than do it my way, if I could paraphrase it. It is better to obey than to sacrifice. It is better to obey God than do whatever I think is right. This is, this is what's wrong with a lot of us. We get it in our head that some way, somehow, we know how God should do this. Naaman thought that. Remember Naaman the leper? When finally he got to Elijah's house, Elijah wouldn't even come out. He just sent a messenger out. <laughs> said, tell him to go dip in Jordan seven times. You know what, a, what Naaman said? I thought, he said, I thought he would come out and he would do it this way and wave his hand over me and I would be healed of my leprosy. It wasn't what he thought that counted. It's not what we think that counts. It's what God says that counts. So cost Saul the kingdom that day. I mean, you could go on. Moses, my goodness. Uh, Moses, it was, it, he, he was a leader of, uh, among leaders. I mean, there wasn't a more humble man on the earth than Jesus Christ. It was more humble than Moses. Moses is the man. Moses is God's man. Moses ran out of patience one day, and God uh, said to him, Moses, you speak to this rock, and you can give the people water. And Moses took a rod, and he struck that rock. And God says, that's not what I ask you to do. I ask you to speak to that rock. And you didn't obey me, and you're not going to go into the promised land. You say, Lord, he was frustrated. The people drove him over the edge. He, he, he couldn't help it. Well, in my understanding, that rock represented Jesus Christ. He had already struck it once, and he will not be stricken again. And that symbol in itself was enough to keep Moses out of the promised land. When you do what you think you ought to do, run the race the way you think the race ought to be run, and against the ways of God or the words of God, God has ways of getting our attention. You say, well, that's all Old Testament. Well, shall we go to Ananias and Sapphira? They lie to God. They had the options. Don't you know it in Acts 5? They had the options. Everybody's selling everything. They're bringing it in. They're pooling their resources. It was a great time. But they sold their house. They got the money. They lied about what they got. They only gave part of it. Listen, they didn't have to give anything. God, God's not broke. They could have done what they wanted to, but they lied about it. They did it their way. They were deceiving. You say, how serious was that, Ananias? I dropped dead that day. He said, that's how serious that was. <laughs> Shall we go further to the Lord's Supper? Did not uh, Paul instruct those Corinthians that they, some of them were sick and weak and some would sleep at his physical death because they were coming, listen to me, in an unworthy manner and partaking of the Lord's Supper in that manner, in that attitude. None of us are worthy in ourselves. It wasn't that. It was the attitude they had. It was the atmosphere that they came in. And let me remind you, as far as I can see in Scripture, Acts 5 and, and uh, 1 Corinthians 11 are both in the same dispensation you and I live in. Thank God for His grace in us. How many times do we just disobey God, either by ignorance or intentionally? 
and we do it our way. The race has to be run according to the rules. Paul would say to Timothy that it is those who strive for the masteries. They, they are not crowned except they strive lawfully. God says it's, it's, it's going to be done my way. Let me take you back, if I could, just for a moment to 1 Corinthians again. Larry referred to it this morning in chapter 2. 1 Corinthians in chapter 2. Just a couple of verses. <clears throat> verse number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 12 now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak. I take that to be the apostles, Paul and the apostles, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, Comparing or combining spiritual things with spiritual words. I don't know who coined the phrase. Maybe Hudson Taylor, it got, uh, he got credit for it. I'm not sure, but it, it goes like this. God's work done God's way. Combining spiritual things with spiritual. Listen. The church doesn't take its cue cards from Hollywood. Our elders don't have to necessarily, and if you're an elder here and you're a successful businessman, God bless you as long as you're a good shepherd. But our elders don't have to be successful businessmen. They're not running a business. This is the church of God. We don't do it the world's way. We don't do it according to the principles of Wall Street. We do it according to the principles of Scripture. The race has got to be run God's way. Spiritual things with spiritual. There are principles. There are verses. There are passages. There are contexts from which we get our direction in Scripture. If we're not careful, we're going to end up with a big mess, folks, because we deviate from the Scriptures. When society is against the, the principles of Scripture for the New Testament church, the tendency is to compromise the principles. I don't, I don't know how big you can get without compromising. I would hope you could have a mega church without compromising. What would be wrong with that? But the tendency is somewhere along the line to compromise so that we can keep people. You've got to learn to be more afraid of God than man, folks. God's work done God's way. God's race run God's way. Well, not only do we have to keep the principles of Scripture, 
uh, if our churches are going to be run like that. Well, what about individually? What's the first command that God gives you to do when you enter the race? Very first command that you that you need to do. You need to get baptized. That's the first one. Do you know that there are some Christians who are five or ten years old in the Lord, and they're trying to go on and run the race, and they haven't ever been baptized? Well, maybe they've never been taught. That could be possible. There was a, a situation where I had the privilege of leading a, a man to the Lord, an elderly man, and he went into the hospital into the chronic ward. He, he couldn't get out. His lungs had been destroyed by some explosion in a mine, and he had to be in a controlled environment, and he had to be on oxygen all the time. I never ever thought about telling him he needed to be baptized. I just never thought about it. And about uh, maybe six months after he got saved, I was visiting him in the hospital, and he said to me, he said, Joe, he said, I, I think I need to get baptized. Really shamed me. I never even talked to him about it. And we always, we called him Grandpa, Grandpa Peaver. That was, you know, that was his name. He, he was always old. Every time you met him, you know, he was always, no matter what time of his life, he was always old. And I said, Grandpa, I said, you think you could be baptized? He said, well, I'd like to try, he said. So I talked to the doctor and the nurses, and they said, well, it, we could, maybe we could get him out maybe for about an hour, but you'd have to get him right back. said, he's not in good shape. So one day, Grandpa and I walked out of the hospital, and he's pulling an oxygen bottle. And it's hooked up. He's on oxygen. We go to the little Bible chapel, and everything is set up. There's a tank there where we're going to baptize him. And uh, so he and I were getting in the tank, and the thought came. He's on oxygen. And if I baptize him, I could actually put him down, and then I could preach for a while. <laughs> this would really be fantastic, you know. It could really make a point here, you know. I could maybe preach for ten minutes, you know. Grandpa was so sick and so old and so stiff, his joints, that when he got, with much effort, he got into the tank, left left his oxygen out there, and he grabbed a hold to to a little bar right there and and he just started trying to go down best he could and he got everything under the water except about that much of his old bald head right there and I just slopped the water on top of him <laughs> I said oh God bless you I said to that congregation that day let this be a witness against you if you think you're too old or too sick to obey the Lord's command to be baptized. I don't want to put a heavy on you today. Some of you might have an unsaved spouse. Maybe you're in a home where the, your parents are not saved and it's a very awkward circumstance for you. I understand that and God understands that. Sometimes you can be baptized in your heart without ever getting wet. I understand that. 
But sometimes we don't want to give in to that initial command, and you're not going to go on, you know, until you do. It is one step at a time. God's race run God's way. Um, uh, now, let, let's move along to another point. Uh, not only do we have to run according to the rules, but let me say this. We are to run the race with patience. That's what it says in our text. The race that is set before us, we're to run the race with patience. You probably, if you have a New King James or another translation, you'll probably uh, see that it is the word endurance. Um, we have a, a sort of a local expression in Mississippi when I grew up that talked about endurance or stick to that kind of a thing. And if you were in a conversation and you wanted to, re, to somehow refer to that principle, you might add this into the conversation. You might say something like this, like a puppy to a root. You're not from Mississippi, I know. That's a problem. <laughs> and you ever see a little dog? A little dog? And you, you get waving a... Well, if it's a poodle... Excuse me if you have a poodle. I don't know what poodles are good for. But <laughs> anyhow, sometimes you see these little poodles and you wave a little rag or an old uh, something, kind of, a, some of it, kind of a toy or something, and they'll grab it, you know? And he'll just shake and shake and shake. You can actually take that thing, pick it up, and that dog is still on there. Well, we didn't have any toys for our dogs in Mississippi, so we had roots, you know. And like a puppy to a root, that's what that meant. You grab it, and he's on one end, and you're on the other end, and he won't let go. Like the fable, or the old wise fable about the snapping turtles, that if he bites you, he won't let go till it thunders, you know. Well, you know... This is what we're talking about. Running with endurance. You don't quit. You never give up. It's just unthinkable. When you get into the race, you're into the long haul. Keeping on, keeping on. Remaining behind was a phrase that was often used to me when I was taught this. Joe, you just hang in there. You just stay your ground. You remember... David had some mighty men. One of them's name was Shammah. You read that back in Second Samuel 23. And Shammah and a whole bunch of his buddies was asked by King David to protect a little parcel of ground. And uh, they, they were there protecting that. And one day a Philistine army came. And a band of soldiers looked at the army. They looked at that little parcel of ground. And they took a hike. They, they they left. And, and I suppose uh, the parcel of ground that somebody told me in the Chinese Bible is, is translated a field of beans. Well, I guess they felt their life was worth more than a field of beans. I don't know. But they left. Anyhow, they said it's not worth fighting for. It's not worth remaining behind. But one man remained behind. His name was Shammah. He remained behind that day. I don't know how he did it. It doesn't tell us. He just won the day. Against a whole Philistine army. He, he beat them all. And he stood his ground. Now, you've got to ask yourself the question, why would he risk his life for that little field of beans? Oh, because King David asked him. He'd do anything for David. What would you do 
for your king. Would you remain behind? <laughs> there are no little jobs for the master. You know that, don't you? But we've got to run with patience. We've got to hang in there. We gotta, it's not when it's convenient. It's because He asked us to do it. He's asked us to run the race. He's asked us to represent Him. He's asked us to run the race His way. And the idea of running with patience is to just hang in there, just to stick to it. Paul said to the Galatians in 5 and 7, You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? I suppose in that verse we could deduct this at least. Running well is obeying the truth. <laughs> Running well for the Lord Jesus. Stick to it. Paul would say this in Philippians, "...holding forth the word of life that I might rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain." Neither have labored in vain. He would also put it like this in Second Timothy, I have fought a good fight. Actually, that's the word just translated race. Isn't that interesting? I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. This is what God's asking us to do. Endure hardness as a good soldier. Remain behind. My youngest son, Mark, liked to run in cross-country races when he was in high school. And one day there was 110 lined up, shoulder to shoulder, just like this, to run a race. And uh, there, there were big ones and little ones, you know, all over the place. There were every, imagined, every, every kind of imaginable contestants there. And so I'm there with a, an old... Sears camcorder looked like CNN today, you know. I mean, big honking thing, you know. And I, I, I'm going to, have, I'm going to, I'm going to video my son running this race, cross country race. So the firing pistol went, and the problem was 110 kids had to run into a very narrow little path to start, and somebody tripped, and about 30 fell right on top of him. And I saw Mark; he just skirted around that and went down the path. At the halfway point, they were way down in a valley, and they had to come up. Actually, it was a set of wooden steps, and they had to run up these steps way up. Not quite that high, but <laughs> way up. And uh, I'm there at the halfway point, and I got my camera ready, and I'm counting. There are 110 in the race, okay? And here they come. One, two, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty. Here's Mark, fifty-seven. Not too bad, kind of in the middle, you know what I mean? Like 57. But when he got to the top of that hill, he was just going, oh, oh, oh. I said, you go get a mark, you're doing good, you're right up there. This kid. I thought he didn't have a chance, you know. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just encouraging him, you know, like, you didn't have a prayer, man. You, you're done, you know. And uh, so I'm really giving him that old rah-rah from the coach, you know. And off into the woods, he trogs along, turn the camera off, go back over to where the finish line was. And I sat there talking to some other people, and uh, I, I really didn't think much about it. And uh, in a few minutes, here comes a kid that broke down into the open field. And zoom, I mean, he, I think he must have gone to the Olympics somewhere or something. This kid is just burning across that finish. Why, nobody else around anywhere. 
you know. I thought, wow, Lord, you know. And then about two, three minutes later, I guess, I, I see a, another guy breaking into that field, and he's just going, ugh, ugh. I go, that's Mark. That's Mark. i got to get my camera on. <laughs> oh, that's Mark, you know. He came in second that day. Second. Now, he wasn't going any faster at the halfway point than he was at the beginning, you know. And so I, I got over. I said, Mark, how in the world? How, how did you pass all those people? You know what he said? He said, most of them just quit, Dad. He said, they just wandered off to the side of, of the path and threw up. <laughs> Some of them just sit down. And he said, all I did was just keep going. That's what he's asking you to do, folks. You're not going to be the first one or the last one to finish. Just keep going. That's what he's asking you to do. Run with patience. Suck it in. Suck it up. Take a break. Get back in the race. I don't know, but just keep going. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your goodness and your grace. And if there's anybody here today that's never entered into the race, we pray that they might make their way to the hill called Calvary, even this hour, and trust the most wonderful person in the universe to be their own Savior, the Lord Jesus, who died for them and rose again, that they might actually have a race to run for God. For those who are weary along the way or who've stumbled or who've been doing it their own way, we pray that today the Spirit of God might take some thought, some verse, some word, and use it to encourage them to run the race God's way and never to give up for Christ's sake. Amen.